Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 378, recorded November 20th, 2022. And today we have a couple of one-shots. Actually, that's not true. We have the beginning of a miniseries and then one one-shot. Correct. So we have uh, the beginning of Star Trek Resurgence, which is the miniseries prequel to the upcoming video game, which I'm very looking forward to. Good. And then we have the Alien Spotlight, or just Spotlight, for Trill. That came out earlier this month. Right. And I'm looking at the Trill one, and, and it only says one shot. Right. One shot, yeah. one shot, one shot, one shot, one shot. Doesn't say anything about Spotlight or Alien or anything. It's just one shot, one shot, one shot, one shot. Right. Okay, fine. Whatever. It's a one shot. I get it. But in the Comixology series and also in yeah, they call the it uh, graphic novel, they consolidated it all. Cool. Well, and it, I think it's called, I think it's called Star Trek Spotlight. There you go. Cool. The first two one shots, with the the Klingon one and what was the other one? Andorians, wasn't it? Andorian. Ah, Andorian. Right there, you go. I mean, they're really alien spotlights. Oh no, and Ferengi. Wasn't there a Ferengi one? I forgot. With uh, Quark's mom. Oh, was that a? Okay. Yeah, that was one yeah. of those two. Okay, that, maybe that was the other one. But the main point is, I mean, they're still about aliens, right? Sure. At least so far. So, it's like, they're just leaving off the alien spotlight, or the alien part. Yeah, but exactly. it really is an alien spotlight. Right. And I do kind of like this one better than the Quark's Bomb one, because mm-hmm. this one, you're introduced to all new people. I mean, there's no ties into any of the other trills that we know, which, which I liked. Just yeah. Like, here's brand new people. And even that, I'm not even sure what time period this is set in. Um, right, because you don't see any fleet stuff. Exactly. Nobody talks about Starfleet, or do they? No, I, I don't remember. They talk them. about it, but they Did don't. They? they don't say when, or and you don't see any of the costumes. Oh, so that's you right. Don't know what time frame. So the planet they went to, they make a reference to the Starfleet having been there and having some mind control stuff going on, or something. Exactly. Okay, so there was a reference, and I didn't know what TV series. I I, I assume next gen, but I really don't know. I guess if we look up the name of that planet, we could probably find out. But uh, right, I I, I, but, uh, I didn't really think of that, so I wasn't sure what time period this was at all. But she was even using a syringe to inject herself with some medicine. So it was like, what's she using a needle for? Anyway, right. Well, let's talk about that here in a few. Let's uh, go I agree. ahead and knock out uh, resurgence number one. Resurgence. Okay, so I get to go first. Okay, so resurgence number one. November 2022 is the published date. Writer is Andrew Grant and Dan Martin. Artist is Josh Hood. Colorist is Charlie Kirchhoff. Letterer, Neil Yataki. Senior editor, Heather Antost. Editorial assists by Vanessa Rial. Two covers. Cover A features the USS Resolute streaking upward in a blue energy beam, or that's what it looks like. To the right of the Resolute is Dr. Leah Brahms, somebody we know. 
To the left is what appears to be a scowling senior officer next to the half face of a really messed up looking alien. In the foreground are two young Starfleet officers and the cover is by Josh Hood. Cover B features none other than the famous Dr. Leia Brahms and she's on an alien planet with goggles around her neck and rugged looking adventure clothes. And this cover is by Malashi Ward. On Itaris 4, in the year 2380, Dr. Leah Brahms, the director of the Zephyrm Cochrane Institute for Advanced Theoretical Physics, is out of the warp engine development lab and doing field work on her own. Just as she is happy with just securing a sample of K-21, with good separation and no contamination, three large ships descend unexpectedly, heading towards her location. Meanwhile, at the edge of Federation space, the USS Resolute, a Centaur-class ship, is wrapping up one mission and preparing for the next. The Resolute's first officer, Commander Sutherland, is resolving a dispute between the ship's chief of engineering, Chovak, a Vulcan, and its science officer, Ben Westbrook, a human. His wise solution to the awkward situation balances the needs of the ship with the imperative to keep peace between the two senior officers. Captain Solano, a human, calls a meeting with his senior staff in the main conference room. Commander Sutherland is the first officer, as mentioned previously. Commander Ben Westbrook is the science officer. Commander Jan Ermat is operations officer, and he's a Bolian. Lieutenant Araxi Bedrosian is the tactical officer, and she appears to be human, but we don't see much of her in here, so it, you know, maybe yes, maybe no. Dr. Brahm Duval is the chief medical officer. Again, she appears to be human. A channel is opened, and an Andorian admiral is addressing them, saying, This briefing is top secret. He tells them Dr. Leah Brahms took an extended sabbatical after her latest engine design was rejected due to the inherent risks with the new technology present. It is believed she continued her work on her own. While on her sabbatical, she went missing while traveling near the Telerian border. It's believed she has been kidnapped by the ruthless and xenophobic Talarians. The fact they look like Klingons does not help. Their covert mission is to enter hostile territory and rescue Dr. Brahms. The Admiral orders them not to start the next war, but the Federation cannot accept the shift of power that would take place if the Talarians are able to extract Dr. Brahms's unique knowledge of present and prototype Federation warp technology. Captain Solano acknowledges the orders and says they will retrieve Leah. The channel is closed and Solano asks Sutherland to set course for Talarian space. Maximum warp! Meanwhile, in the Talarian border region, in a Talarian facility overbuilt into the moon of a ringed planet, stands Captain Hector. An underling reports to the captain that they are already getting useful information out of the human prisoner. He goes on to say they are hurrying to extract as much information as they can in case Starfleet attempts to intervene. 
With a wickedly mangled right half of his face, Hektar turns and assures his underling that Starfleet will come for her. The days of the Federation disrespecting us will end. Oh, they will end. Back on the Resolute, Commander Westbrook has a private word with Commander Sutherland concerning his confusion over the Resolute drawing this mission. The Resolute is a science vessel, so the ship and crew are not used to or really equipped for missions like this. Solano called her Leia, so that indicates the captain has a history with Dr. Brahms. Sutherland explains Solano and Brahms worked together for years at the Utopia Planitia shipyards on an advanced warp engine design that was such a leap forward their names could end up in the history books. When the Dominion War broke out, the captain was called back to active starship duty. The brass thinks the captain's knowledge of what Brahms was working on might help us to find her. Sutherland voices his nagging concern that the captain's focus could be distracted with thoughts of working with Brahms again and finishing that game-changing warp engine. Westbrook brings up that Sutherland is close to getting his own command, so they had better not mess this mission up. The Resolute enters the Telerian space, maintaining radio silence, and tracks Dr. Brahms' shuttle drive signature to an uninhabited Class M planet. Sutherland takes an away team down to the planet and finds where the shuttle was. No sign of Brahms, but they do find a dampening field device and a precisely drilled cylindrical hole in a rock outcrop. Westbrook surmises she took the rock sample as part of her research and grabs a sample of his own to bring back to the ship for analysis. While in orbit, they found the rapidly decaying warp signature of three Telerian ships and plot a pursuit course. They also find more recent ship signatures that could indicate patrol ships of some kind. The captain says they need to pursue the abductors and stay ahead of the patrol ships. Engage! In his ready room, the captain is holding a prototype of the warp core Leia and he were working on years ago. Sutherland says the deeper they get into Tellurian space, the greater the chance they will be attacked. The captain agrees and says they need to be ready for anything. Part of their preparation is to have subsutaneous emergency communicators inserted into the command team's necks. Sutherland goes to a lab where Westbrook is analyzing the sample from the planet. Westbrook says the sample contained an exotic heavy isotope of dilithium that is very rare. Westbrook has run some hastily thrown together models that indicate the isotope could yield far greater nacelle output, but there is no room for error in its use. Ships could easily be blown to bits by their own warp cores if the isotope is handled incorrectly at all. Soon after that, they track the warp signatures to the fourth moon with a Telarian installation orbiting a ringed planet. They attempt to stay undetected by traveling to the other side of the planet's rings, while their science ship's sophisticated sensors pick up a Starfleet shuttle's faint transponder signal. They found her. Before they can reach their hiding place, sensors pick up incoming enemy fire. Shields come up and evasive maneuvers are executed, while the three Talarian ships they were following close in on the Resolute. 
An incoming transmission tells Captain Solano and crew they have been followed since Ataris 4, and they are trespassing. When the video feed hits the main viewer, they are surprised to see the voice belonging to what appears to be a human. Captain Solano asks what is a human doing commanding a group of three Talarian ships? The man on the view screen introduces himself as Captain Jono Endar, sounds like Star Wars name, of the Talarian militia. He goes on to say they have made a terrible mistake. To be continued. You don't know what you're talking about. That's the way I remember that. Scene. <laughs> well, John Doe yeah. Endar. Doesn't that sound yeah, like a Star Wars name? Yes. Yeah. Just thought I'd just thought I'd mention some, that. some names are universal. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> just kidding. John Doe Endar? No. John Doe Endar. I mean that sounds like some little little chunky alien that's got like a little little horn coming out of his mouth. For a little <laughs> horn for a mouth or something. What, One of those guys what, in the uh, oddly specific. So, well, that's what I'm like saying. Like in the cantina or something? It's one of those guys, exactly, in the cantina band or something. Yeah, so uh, what'd you think? Were you so blown away that you're like, I can't wait to play that game? Uh, I was not. I was not. I, the word blown away is not appropriate, but I did like, I liked the surprise ending, and I liked the story so far, and the characters seem perfectly serviceable. That's fine. Sure. You know, um, I got to say that commander, though, uh, that, that first officer, Sutherland. Yeah, the young guy. Yeah. The, the incredibly young guy with thick longish hair his hair is long enough and he's thin enough that there's one panel in particular that when i first looked at the panel it's it's a scene inside of uh the captain's uh ready room Mm -hmm. that i thought it was a girl (laughs) i did i didn't realize that was sutherland right anyway so he's yeah so he's got full long hair good for him yeah i haven't played the game yet but i'm kind of wondering if that is your playable character and you can choose the gender, and maybe this was their way of... Oh, kind of bridging uh, the possibilities. Yeah, totally making that up, because I have no idea. But I know I've <laughs> seen that character model in the uh, trailers, and I thought it was a girl in the in the trailers. Oh, And then when I was reading this, I was like, oh, it's a boy. But I haven't gone back and rewatched the trailers, so maybe I, I like you, just assumed, because I don't know. But uh, Or maybe it's one of those times where you can choose... Your gender. Okay, cool. Because so, do they ever give him a first name? I've just noticed his last name. Yeah, so maybe it's like a you know Commander Shepard type thing on uh, Mass Stargate. Effect. Choose. Oh, oh yeah, uh, yeah, that Shepard. Yeah, yeah, Mass Effect. You could pick Shepard, and they always call him Commander Shepard or her Commander Shepard. They don't ever use the first name because you could choose which gender, which gender you were going to be. Oh, cool. Okay. But, again, I have no idea. It's just kind of what I assumed when I was reading it. And I did absolutely zero research to find out if I was right or wrong. So <laughs> it gives me something to do before the next issue comes out. Yeah. Well, you know more about this upcoming game than I do. So this is a game that's on multiple platforms, and it's like a story game like those Walking Dead ones. Is that right. it? Right. Yeah. yeah, it's even made by the same people. It, okay. It's not made by Telltale, because that company kind of broke up and got bought out by another company okay so telltale itself the game is making the expanse game and then this 
the people that used to work at Telltale now work at another company, and they made their Star Trek resurgence. Oh. So hmm. we're getting two games in two different sci-fi franchises that are going to get the same kind of treatment. Okay. Are they? Can they both use the same gaming engine? I mean, I underlying technology? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they both Whatever. use Unreal or something. So but, Yeah, yeah okay. I don't know. So a third parties. Right. Right. So... Anyways, I'm pretty excited about both games, even though I know absolutely nothing about Expanse, but the game looks cool, so I'm kind of excited about that one. As I've mentioned before, I love Expanse. (laughs) The books and the TV series. But the trailer they've shown for Star Trek Resurgence has uh, a character by the name of Spock, so I don't know if you've heard of him. (laughs) (laughs) So that's not the Spock, right? Oh, it's the Spock. Ambassador Spock. So it this it takes place obviously before he runs off in the jellyfish. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Okay. And of course, the comic book doesn't show him at all. So Yeah, not yet. I was kind of disappointed because I was like cuz he's so in the trailer. I was like right. oh, maybe he's going to be a big part in the comic book too and it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. Right. Well, <sighs> well the Resolute seems to be a fine ship. However, it's not the biggest ship in the world. It's not like it's a, you know, sovereign class or something. It's a scrappy, medium size, uh, uh, whatever cruiser. What do you call it? I don't know. But it, you know, it's not, it's it's a little bit like um, like the Cerritos, you know, right? You know, not the biggest or powerfulest or anything like that. But it's a a good ship. And it seems like a good crew. So it should be interesting to see, you know, how the scrappy little ship is able to, uh, you know, come through and be victorious, as I'm sure it will be. Right. So when I read this, I kind of really liked the, the ship. Mm-hmm. I, had never, I had not seen that design before. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was unique to the game. Mm-hmm. And then you pointed out that it's a, a ship that was actually in Deep Space Nine and has a whole history, you know, the, the, the class of ship. Yeah. And yeah. uh, according to your research, it was designed during the Dominion War and kind mm-hmm. of pushed out fast, and then now it's kind of being retooled as a science ship, which I thought was cool. Yeah, that, that, they did talk about that a little bit in the, in the story. So, yeah. Yeah, so during the Dominion War, when a lot, of, a lot of ships were being blowed up, and, you know, we were still rebuilding from the last Borg incident. So, I mean, it was not a good time for the Dominion War. Right. So they had to produce ships. And of course, I'm reading all this from the booklet I got with my Eagle Moss USS Centaur ship model. So I had gotten this sucker, and so I was able to read a lot about the ship so, and the class. And uh, so basically they, they took a lot of parts from older ships and kind of kitbashed this to create the Centaur class. So definitely the the saucer section and the impulse engines are from an Excelsior class ship, and I, I think the um, this well the very small secondary hull looks like it came from a Reliant class ship, um, right? And even the the support so so the part on the Reliant you know that the basically the kind of like a weapons pod looking thing or something that comes up. In the top, it has the uh, photon right. torpedo launchers and stuff. So that's the part from the Reliant class I'm talking about. And I, and I think even the, uh, the support structure 
that connects that that overhead pod to the rest of the ship, it almost looks like maybe that's being used for the nacelle pylons, but uh, I'm not 100% sure on that. Right. And then the engines, they look, I don't know, maybe it's an older engine design. I'm not quite sure. They're, they're skinny little things. They're not quite the same as the uh, Excelsior-class ships, but it, it looks, I don't know, a little bit like them, but skinnier? Yeah, it, it, it I don't know. That- it gave me that motion picture era vibe. Right. Yeah. It, it, they're not as tall as the motion. They're longer and not as tall as the Constitution refit engines. But Right. Anywho. Uh, I, I really liked it. Yeah. And I did not know that it came from something before, so now I like it even more. Well, I forgot the name of the episode, but there's a DS9 episode where Cisco has a stolen Jem'Hadar ship or something. Mm-hmm. And he's flying it towards the wormhole, or maybe it's maybe it's actually in the Gamma Quadrant. I'm not quite sure. But the USS Centaur is chasing it and shooting at it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know the episode you got. Right there, you go. So it's it's got a little guest starring thing, but uh, at least it's more than just a background shot. Yeah, I, I just assumed when you were telling me about it, I was like, oh, it's just one of those mini ones that get blown up in in the background. Right. But, okay. <laughs> I'll have to go back and look at that episode. Right. I thought this was a good introduction to all the characters. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, it is kind of rough. you got to start with a whole new cast of crew that we don't know anything about. Right. Uh, so they spend a lot of time like just giving maybe unnecessary backstory. If these were established characters, do we really need to know about the Vulcan being upset that they're raining havoc in his engineering and all that stuff right it it did give us the little character moment so we're kind of like okay this guy's he's got a stick up somewhere and uh (laughs) (laughs) but uh but no i I liked it yeah i i like when they have a whole new crew a whole new ship and it's new direction right so uh you mentioned the cerritos Mm -hmm. just so that you know time frame wise this takes place five years after the dominion war Mm -hmm. which would put it in uh 2380 Mm -hmm. which is also when lower deck season one takes place oh interesting about a year after nemesis okay it seemed like it was similar general time frame i didn't know it was that close right Hmm. so maybe we'll get a guest star of the cerritos (sighs) a crossover there you go yeah that'd be awesome yeah like yeah, we can see them drawn in this style instead of the, the really cartoony style. Right. That'd be kind of cool. Well, yeah, and it should be interesting to see exactly how Strange New Worlds crosses over with Lower Decks. Lower Decks. Yeah. So that's going to be interesting. Right. But at least if it crossed over with this game, at least it would be in the same time period, which would make more sense. Which would make more sense, yeah. So what do you think of the story overall? Did you... I mean, do we know who these Talorians? Talorians? Are we supposed to know who they are? Yeah. I thought I mean, that ship design looked familiar to me. And the name sounds familiar. But the fact sure. that they look so much like a Klingon, not 100% Klingon, but still. They got the, uh, the forehead ridges going into the top of their head like a Klingon. And they've got beards <laughs> like Klingons often have. Not always, but often. And then even their uniforms kind of look like uh, Klingon, but they're not Klingons. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, like a Klingon, but instead of it being a, a 
turtle forehead. It's yeah. a turtle toupee. <laughs> well, they got something going on on their forehead also, going into the top of their head. But yeah, it's not, it's not quite the same. We did a little look up, and uh, we see that the Talarians were in the TNG episode titled Suddenly Human. And we've seen some pictures of some actors in the makeup and stuff. And it's like their head looks... I don't know why, but it, the pictures in Memory Alpha uh, makes them look a little bit less like a Klingon than the, than the drawings do. But, uh, yeah. So, so they came out of TNG. There you go. There you go. And it just says some of the things they said in the comic. They're xenophobic, you know. Whatever. Well, that definitely fits these guys. Indeed. Yeah, so these guys uh, seem to have a little chip on their shoulder. Uh, something that I was just getting a vibe from was Kim Jong-un. Yikes. Just from the standpoint of, so that Captain Hectar, which isn't a Hectar a measurement of distance, you know, like a mile or something. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so the way he was go- talking about, they don't respect, they won't respect us, you know, but they will, you know, it's, it just seems a little bit like a, like, like a little country or a little, you know, little uh, species in the big galaxy or quadrant that's uh, demanding respect. Anyway, right. I got a little bit of that. Yeah, I could see that. So who did the captain of the... Resolute look like remind you of? Oh, uh, uh, the guy who's a little well. Okay, he's got the big mustache and stuff. So in the in the picture of him on the cover, he reminded me a little bit of um, the guy that played Thunderbolt Ross in the Marvel movies. Oh, um, uh, Hurt William Hurt. Yeah, William Hurt. Yeah. So a little bit of that with the big with the big mustache. A little bit of J. Jonah Jameson. A little bit. Sure. Um, well, who, who did he remind you, you of? Reminded me of uh, a certain Ken Hubalik. Oh, me? Yes. <laughs> you grew it out. Uh, if you grew your mustache out a little bit more. That's funny. You could totally be this guy. That's funny. I look like Captain Solano. Okay. Exactly. There you go. Okay. I, 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 uh, I, I did not see that, but, you know, whatever. It's a little, it's a little bit of a stretch. It's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a stretch. I but think. especially in the flashback scene when he's in the old school uniform and he doesn't <laughs> quite have so much gray. Because like, you're used to seeing me in looks old like school him. uniform, in the old school uniforms. Okay, got it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, well, I am old like him, so maybe. Oh, okay, so I'm looking back. Really? I got a big nose like that? I guess I do. Okay. It's a drawing, Ken. It's a drawing. Take it easy. He had to have a kid. He, look, Leah Brahms doesn't even have a nose in that picture. <laughs> well, she's she, she got a skinny little girl nose. <laughs> little button girl nose. Okay. So, uh, what do you think of Hector? Hector is the Talarian? Captain. Yep. Yep. Captain uh, Hector. I, did, I didn't have an opinion on him at all. What, okay. what about you? Well, I mean, just aside that... From- just that they, you know, they messed up his face purposely. Yeah, he's got a messed up face. Yeah, so when he when he turns and you see him for the first time, it's like, ooh, the right side of his face is all messed up. Like somebody took a really big big lighter and just <laughs> torched him. It's a little two face. 
Oh, yeah. A little, little two-face-ish. You can see he's still got like a little, a little pupil in there. Yeah. Because he's got blue eyes. But uh, yeah, that, that right face looks pretty mangled. Anyway. Yeah, is I, that the only time we've seen him? I mean, I, I didn't, like I said, I didn't have a big opinion on him at all. No, it, did I, I think miss, that's Did I miss something? Okay. Well, no. I mean, but he, okay. I mean, he's got a striking look. And then the second cover, or no, uh, the next issue's cover. So at the end of the end of this issue, they got they've got different drawings and things. And no, it no, it's it's the it's this issue's main yeah, cover. Yeah, it's the cover, right? Yeah. So they show him there, and he looks even worse. I mean, he looks like some way out there kind of uh, like almost a dark elf, you know, alien <laughs> kind of thing. Um, I'll be honest, I didn't realize that that was him until just now. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, you're right. Yeah, but he looks even worse in, on the cover. His ear chewed off. Yeah, and he's got. He looks like he's got purple skin, but I guess that's just the lighting. Kind of like Two Face. Uh, like, oh, Two Face has purple skin. Or... Sometimes. Okay. Cool. Uh, and that's really. Do you have anything else to say about it? Honestly, I don't. Okay. Uh, I thought it was good. Setting up a lot of characters I knew absolutely nothing about, so mm-hmm. it was all a lot of setup, which I didn't necessarily dislike, so mm-hmm. I-, I enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. I kind of like the Starfleet swoosh with the fire in it. At the oh, end, the they cover? Gotta... Yeah. Yeah. No, that looked cool. That's, that's kind of an interesting... I mean, uh, so the first thing I thought was, well, is that is that really the patch they use? Or, the, <laughs> you know, the really the com badge? They use no, no. They've just got the normal, you know, next gen Voyager whatever uh, com badges, but uh, it it looks good. So I guess that's yeah. the symbol of the game. I guess uh, maybe first time I've seen it was at the end of this book. So okay, okay. Well, we'll find out. Yeah, we'll find out when it comes out. Cool. Okay. They they did just come out with a Prodigy game that I haven't gotten yet, um, but I do want to give it a shot. Oh. Well, I'm I'm enjoying the second half. Of the first season of Prodigy. I've only seen the first episode of the second half, so mm-hmm. we're a little behind. Cool. Okay. All right. On to Trill? Want to go on to Trill? Let's do it. All right. This one is entitled Trill, like we said before. Writer was Jody Hauser. Artist by Hendry Prestia and Rafael Perez Granados. Colorist by DC Alonso. Letters by Neil Yutaki. Senior editor Heather Antos. And editorial assist by Vanessa Rial. Came out November of 2022. Tons of covers, so we'll go through them real quick. The first one, the primary one, is by Hendry Prestia. And colors by DC Alonso. And it shows uh, the woman that we'll be introduced to, the Trill woman named Vanna Briel. So she's just has her back to us, and she's looking over her shoulder straight at us while we're looking at her back and buttocks. And then behind her, we see like a giant version of the symbiote kind of curled up in a little fetal position. And then uh, we have a second cover by Alexandra Beguz. And it shows, again, I'm assuming it's the same woman, Vanna, kind of running towards us, looking over her shoulders. And then we see a shadowy man in a corridor behind her. And I think that's the only cover. Did you see more? Or did you even look? 
Those are the only two at the back of the cover, back of the book. Yeah, that's all I saw. Only okay. two. All right, I'm just used to more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's IDW. <laughs> right, and it's the number one, so you know yeah. they're going to have the covers, but I yeah. guess they yeah. uh, reined it in this time. Right. Okay, so the story starts. We're introduced to the unjoined Trill, Van Abril, and her co-workers. They're on a planet called Hesperidus One, and they did mention that Starfleet had been here before and that the, it causes hallucinations and things, but I couldn't find what Starfleet story that could have been from, so um, if, if anybody else knows, I'd appreciate it. Memory Beta didn't have anything, so who knows. Anyway, so they're investigating some artifacts and statues, and then while they're here, the, the two women are chit-chatting, and uh, Vanna Briel is telling her co-worker that she did apply to be a join trail, but she left the program before she knew whether she passed or not, because she said she would rather just not know whether she was worthy enough for that honor. Later, aboard the ship that's in orbit, Briel is woken up from her sleep and informed that she is needed at the hospital. At first, she thinks it's her co-worker that's in trouble, but once she's there, she's informed that there was a joint trill there named Lors, and that he was in an accident and that the host is dying. So the medical staff needs to transfer the symbiote into somebody else, and since Vanna is the only Trill who's ever passed the steps to become a joined. She has been chosen to take on the symbiote. Vanna is very surprised that she did indeed pass after all, and then they undergo the procedure. So now Vanna Lors is brought into the universe. So no longer Vanna Briel. So Lors does not instantly share all the memories of all the past hosts to Vanna which is kind of a surprise to her because she thought that it would just be this influx of memories. So she tries to go about her normal days, but she gets these weird glimpses that just pop in at very odd times, like she's looking at a brick and suddenly it turns into a baby. And then she gets glimpses of past woman lover, uh, maybe a wife, we don't know, just from the picture. And then she has memories of eating gawk and maybe being a rock star, it's unclear. And then also tinkering with some electronic doodad with a son. Also, during some of this time, accidents start happening around her that endangers her life, like a statue falling and almost squishing them. So later, Vanna travels to Trill to get some answers as to why the merging isn't quite going as she thought it would. She's informed that the Lord symbiote has had a large number of hosts that suddenly died shortly after merging. She asks if he's cursed or if the symbiote's cursed, and the caretaker kind of laughs at her and says, nah, it's just, just accidents. So when she returns back to home, she finds a threatening letter posted to her door. She can feel that the symbiote is the one that's really afraid of this note. So she tries to meditate to try to communicate with it, failing that. Again, she's filled with glimpses and not a full immersion of information. So this time we see a woman, perhaps a wife, and a child that kind of grows up from being a baby to a, a small boy. So now Van is concerned by perhaps Lors did something nefarious because she says, what did you do? So then she starts to take a stroll out in the streets, and then this turns into a full run as all these confusing memories start attacking her. Not really attacking her, but she's having all these weird memories 
and she starts running and then she realizes that you know you can't run from memories and just as she comes to grips with that she's attacked in the physical world by a person in an alleyway so this person ends up being the son from these visions so one of lore's past lives had a son and now that the son doesn't have a father he's taken it upon himself to kill all the hosts of the lore's symbiote and this means that he like kills them but kills them in a way that they don't die right away so that the symbiote can get moved into another person and then he can kill that person too so basically he's become a serial killer and he's, he's mad at lore's symbiote because he did not just pick up being married to his mom and stay as the family because symbiotes aren't allowed to stay with their past lives so Vanna and the son actually have a sword fight. So she's using a pipe that she found, and he's actually using what looks like a medieval sword. Eventually, Vanna remembers the last interaction with her son as the dad was dying. He tells the son that even though he dies, his love for the son and the family will live on forever within every host that comes down the line. So she relates this memory to the son, who at first thinks it's some sort of trick. And then she tells him that the part of his father that's still within her still loves him despite all these horrible things that he's done. The son then tries to kill himself once he realized that he's been actually tormenting his own father all these years. Van is able to stop him, and she and the ghost of the father embrace the troubled man. So we flash back, or, or we flash forward some, and now these events are now behind her. Vanna Lors feels like a complete being once again, or not once again, but for the first time, and that she can sense all the other hosts around her guiding her decisions. And with that, she's ready to tackle whatever life brings her way. The end. Okay, well, we get to see that little story of this particular trill in a scenario that is unique to only a bound trill symbiote situation. So, what'd you think? Uh, it was all right. I mean, I, I thought the story was overtly long. I thought, yeah, it didn't need to be this long. Yeah, and but the the idea was kind of interesting. I mean, yeah. basically, the serial killer's killing his own dad over and over again. And so, this never occurred to him <laughs> that, no. that he's going to be hurting his father. No, even though I guess he thought that since the next host didn't immediately step into the father role that his dad had been lying to him all that time about it even being him that his memories were going to be passed on down to down i don't know i i don't know every trill should know how this works yeah exactly so why this guy seemed to be so freaking clueless and i know when he was a kid he was like uh, had his father's bedside and he thought that the fact the trill was in the father is what was causing him to die but the father was saying it had nothing to do with the trill. Right. Uh, he just had some sickness or whatever. And so when you're a kid, that's one thing. But when you become an adult, and you probably learned a lot about how this whole symbiote in people's bodies works. Right. You probably wouldn't have that kid view of what's going on anymore. But whatever. Yeah, I just didn't like... I didn't like the sword fight at the end. It seemed really <laughs> weird that... He would just have this medieval-looking sword yeah. on his person. Well, what? Okay, so if this was like a hundred years in the past or something, 
prior or a couple hundred years prior to uh, TNG time frame or something, or, or or something like that. A sword, okay, but come on. I mean, they and you pointed out the whole thing in the beginning where they're talking about that Starfleet had been there and they've got FTL capabilities. I right. mean, they are using, I thought it was very odd, uh, she's giving herself injections with a needle, with a hypodermic needle, for the stuff that she needed, the medicine she needed after the joining. And it's like, well, what the heck is that? That looks like something out of the 20th century, Earth. Right. Uh, but, yeah. no. I mean, you're, th- 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 this is TNG time frame-ish, wherever, some, something like that, probably. Right. Probably. Um, and so why, why would you pick a sword? Yeah, and it's weird because when she grabs the pipe, mm-hmm. you can see like one of the ghost visions of it's either a memory or maybe one of her past selves yeah. holding what looks like a lightsaber. And it's just oh, like. I didn't notice that. So is she saying that she's like channeling this past person that was a great swordsmith or something? I don't know. It just seemed that that shot seemed really out of nowhere. Yeah, and, yeah and none of the <laughs> earlier flashbacks did it ever establish that. She had a a swordsman in her past right. that I saw. Right. Yeah, I and I don't know. And again, uh, it, and just the artwork seems like like she, the the main woman, mm-hmm. is drawn like like a supermodel, whereas everybody else is kind of drawn, and especially like the son and the son's mom l- looks really bad, like. <laughs> Like they don't fit the same artistic aesthetic that she has. I agreed on that, but also kind of jarring is that to me, I think as of page was it page ten, they switched to the other artist. So there's two people that have uh, art credits so two here. Two art. Oh, uh, okay, okay. So there's <laughs> there's there's two people that got credit for doing artwork, and if you look at the first ten or so pages, she looks like a Spartan. So Vana is really, you know, broad-shouldered, and, uh, I mean, she's got a knockout shape. And then later you see her in, like, her underwear, whatever, T-shirt, whatever, a wife-beater T-shirt <laughs> and shorts and stuff. And she's muscular. I mean, she looks like a, a Halo Spartan. And then after page 10, she doesn't look like that anymore. Uh, and she looks really skinny. There's one where she's, like, sitting on the bed, and she looks like a skinny little te- teenager uh, instead right. of like a, a mature woman, probably at least in her upper 30s. Because shouldn't right. she say something about her age? I don't uh, remember. At some point in the book? Anyway. And if you look at her in some of the early uh, drawings, I mean, it almost looks like she may have a little shock of gray in her hair uh, in the front uh, in, some of the, in some of the shots. Just a little bit, you know. Right. Um, but then that kind of goes away. It's very inconsistent. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I didn't thought, catch I thought, that the art, art, the artist changed. Well, I, just I thought it was inconsistent. The uh, style changed a yeah. lot. So You're I right. assume the artist changed, and mm-hmm. there are two of them. So, well, then I think they might have gone back to the first girl later, because, or the first person, the, the first, first artist, because she does get that muscular physique again. Well, uh, she's a bit muscular. But she's nothing, you know, when they had that one big shot where she's got the, uh, the pipe. Right. And she's defiantly standing there. I mean, look at those skinny legs. Right. I mean, right. She, I mean, she looks 
she does not look like she looked at the in the first couple of pages. Yeah. Still, but yeah. But then, what's up with the uh, the the son yeah. and the and his mom? They have like weird. Uh, this is gonna sound bad, but like pig noses. Ah. Their noses kind of like instead of having like circular nostrils, they have these long slits almost. It, it's very weird. Yeah. And jarring, because, I mean, she looks like she just came out of some sort of, I don't know, anime or whatever with the perfect physique and uh-huh. super yeah. long legs and yep. long arms and, yep. you know, uh, and, and then. And she's got like a 1970s action kind of, you know, short black jacket and uh, skin tight uh, pants. I mean, she looks like a very, uh, a modern, like human earth kind of look to her clothing. And then. Right. And then the son looks like he just fell out of a, a Tolkien novel. <laughs> I mean, look at the look at. I thought he was a Tellerite when I first saw him. I was like, "Is this a Tellerite? Oh no, it's uh, Tellerite. her son." <laughs> yeah. Well, he, I mean, he's got the medieval sword, like you described, and it's a medieval sword, and he's got the cape, and he's got like a jerkin. Is that what they call it? The shirts that 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 come down. Anyway, but looking at him, he just looks like. A, you know, he looks like he was from Lord of the Rings or something. Right, totally. For no good reason. Yeah, for no reason. Anyway. Yeah, and that was a big sword he's going to stab himself with. I, I, I don't think he was going to be able to do it. <clears throat> at least it wasn't going to go in his chest. <laughs> he might have been aiming at his crotch or something. <laughs> and if you're, and if he's using a sword rather than a gun of some kind because he wants them to. Die Suffer. slowly, yeah, or whatever. Why not a decent sized knife or something like a Bowie knife or something that you could conceal? Why are you using what almost looks like a claymore? Right, big, huge. Well, it depends upon the panel, but some case, some panels that the thing looks huge and it looks old and it looks like it hasn't been sharpened in like a hundred years. And, uh, well, again, it depends on the panel because sometimes it looks yeah. razor sharp. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. But but I mean that brings up a good point. Like right when they first start fighting, he has the big long sword and he yeah. says, "I'll kill you for the last time." And then it flashes to a panel of I guess him, but he's holding a little tiny knife. And this time he says, "How could you reject her like that? She's your wife." So I guess he had a little knife the first time he killed somebody. The symbiote, and then now he's using a big sword. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't yeah, know, it just man. I don't know, man. I was confused. And what's the deal with the rock star? Is that supposed to be him or the wife? I thought it was the wife. Okay, so the wife was a rock star. Who who apparently didn't really have much motivation to get together with the mother. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, you're saying that the the the. Okay. So, 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 so there was so the, the man new... that had the, the son, and then when he died, he went into the rock star? Is that what yes, you're saying? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Uh, okay. So the symbiote went into the rock star next. It's a girl. It's a lady. And, and then uh, she doesn't – she tells the son that she can't uh, be the – you know, that she's not allowed to be the, the person she was before. Okay. Yeah, All right. Yeah, I, you, I couldn't quite figure out. Yeah, you aren't my wife. Uh, Yilliam, interesting name, 
Padre is a part of me, yes, but I'm not him. Yeah, so. Yeah. A past host. So the past host was the father. Okay. Yeah, and then some sort of swordsman, too, I guess. Because the woman well, that's holding the lightsaber exactly. is not the, not the singer. Well, but look at the hair. I mean, the short hair that's kind of like has, it's, I don't know, it's braided, is it? And then, then tucked in. I'm looking at that one panel where that female swordsman, you know, that's part of her, her right. past. She looked a little bit like the, uh, like the rock star, didn't she? Mm, maybe. But yeah, why I would the rock the star be also a, a master swordsman? Doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, I, was, I had lots of questions. Yeah. <laughs> at first, I was very, very confused about the whole thing, about who was who. And now I, I, I got it. You know, right. I had to, you know, I, I had to think about it a little bit and maybe read a few things, but it was little, it was confusing at first. And then who who the guy really was? Right, the swordsman guy, the murderer. Actually, yeah. now that I look at the uh, at the ghostly swordsman again or swordswoman, she again looks like somebody. Now she looks like somebody from a Star Wars movie. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, because even the sword's like bright white. It's bright white, but it's not a lightsaber, but it's a sword, but still, the way they got it drawn, it's very shiny. Very shiny blade metal, big. Right. Anyways. All right. Anyway, so it was fine. I mean, we're talking a lot about it, but really, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's fine that it's a one-off. Although, they definitely left this open for more adventures of this lady. Sure. Yeah, I, one of the things I didn't like about it, and again, I hate to keep ragging on it, is the, uh, I, I get that she has the symbiote inside of her, and we've seen it many times, and it did not change the person's physique, you know, even though technically it should if you're putting a, you know, a good-sized worm inside someone's stomach, uh-huh. you should see it bulging out a little bit. Sure. Whereas, you know, most of the time she has the, the toned abs or whatever, but there's like one shot where it shows like, I don't know, like a creature or something in her stomach. Yeah, like it's pushing outward against her stomach. Yeah, so I or, mean, I'm assuming that's like an artistic to show that that's where it is, but and it's not really doing that. But there's a there's another panel several pages later which kind of show the same thing, but this time it doesn't look like it's like bulging out. It just kind of shows where it's kind of tucked in mm-hmm. in her abdomen right above her belly button. Right. Uh, again, I just didn't really like... Either don't show it at all or always show it. You know, it's just... <laughs> right. Don't. I didn't really care or, for those, or, those parts. And the, the only possible explanation I had for that is that somehow the symbiote was upset or something and it was moving around and it was pushing against the, uh, the outer skin around the stomach. That's the only thing I could think of that could possibly cause that. Uh, right. I mean, if, if it was like a real thing, as opposed to just kind of, like you say, artist license. Right. Just to remind you where the symbiote is. But there were other parts that actually showed almost like a, uh, an x-ray view. Right. And it actually that's, showed the symbiote. Yeah, that's, that's the one that I was saying. Like three pages later, it shows yeah. it just kind of tucked in there like a little alien. <laughs> yeah, kind of partially curled into a, a, almost a circle. Right. Yeah, like the alien queen from Alien 3 when it shows it shows it like that inside Ripley. Right. Okay. Uh, so um, I did have one other 
thing that uh, I was kept waiting for that shoe to drop and it never did. Mm -hmm. They're on this planet. She says at the very beginning, oh, Starfleet came here and they said they all had weird hallucinations, blah, 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 blah. That was the first page. And then we had 40 pages later and they never bring that back up. And I kept thinking, well, maybe that was what's causing her to not get all the visions that she's needing, you know, but it, it never factors into anything later. Yeah. I mean, it never factors into anything at all. No. Nope. It's a throwaway thing. Seems like that could have been the explanation as to why she didn't get all the visions at once or why she's getting them all in these weird manners. Right. So. And who knows? Maybe that's part of the reason things were really weird at first. Maybe that was part of the reason that it was really weird. They just don't call it out explicitly. Right. Right. Can I just say something about her uniform? Yeah. So she's supposed to be some kind of archaeological doctor or whatever she is. And she's got the physique, as I said before, uh, you know, of a, you know, really solidly built woman who keeps herself very much in shape. And she's got blue shirts with the piping and the, and the, and the kind of like flip over thing. It looks like a military, a very cool looking military tunic. Right. And then she's got what kind of looks like a, a gun rig around her waist. Right. And they don't actually show it being a gun. It could be something else, like maybe some kind of equipment or something. But that definitely, the, the, the belt and the rig makes it look like it's a gun. Like, yeah. why would you have a gun? Well, um, on, on the cover, that's what she's wearing, and she's holding it, and it, it is a gun of some sort. Oh, okay. Uh, look. Oh, you're right. It is a gun. Okay. Um, so I guess some I sort guess of scanner. I, I don't know. I'm pretty but, sure it's a gun. Well, it looks like a gun on the cover. So right. good point. I I didn't even go back to the cover to see. But uh, well, I, I you know I guess if you're on an alien planet, you never know. But there are an awful lot of people on this dig. It's not like they're like alone. I mean, this right. is a this is like a little mini community here, going on with this this exca- excavation or whatever. Right. Okay. Yep. Oh, whatever. Yep. No, it, her outfit definitely looks like something from Star Wars. I thought, with the, um, the yeah the holster yep. hung low on her hip and all right. that. Right. Yep. It, it definitely it reminded me of a Han Solo kind of thing, but even more so. Right. Because it's kind of like going over her uh, her ample hips. Yep. In a sassy way. <laughs> so. it, it reminded me a little bit of the uh, Battlestar Galactica uniforms. Yeah, with the shoulder things, definitely. Yeah. Okay, enough of that so, one. So, out of the three spotlight one-shots, Klingon, Ferengi, and Trill, which which one would you say was your favorite, least favorite? Uh, the Klingon one was that retelling of uh, Kalis and his brother. Yeah. The fight of the three armies or whatever. Right, right, on right. On top of the volcano. On top of the volcano, right. Like Valerian. Yeah. I didn't... Unfortunately, um, I didn't really care for any of those three. <laughs> okay. We feel the same way about it. I mean, okay. it's it's hard for me to pick which one I like the most because they were all kind of uh, good, but like not really that great. Right. That's disappointing. Yeah, it is. But, okay. Um, all right. So we're in the same boat. Yep. I, I guess I might say the Klingon one. I guess maybe, but uh, yeah, it'd whatever. be it'd be tough. <laughs> yeah. I almost want to pick the Ferengi one, even though. It was characters that we already knew, but 
Uh, maybe that's why I liked it better. I don't, I don't know. It's hard because yeah. I didn't really care for that one either. Yeah. Anywho, right. so what are we doing next week, Ken? Well, Donovan, we kind of ran out of Star Trek comics, so uh, we're going with Orville. Yeah? Yeah? Yeah, why not? So Orville, The World of Avis, issues one and two, which was published in 2019. Right. So this was the, uh, the third and fourth Orville comic book. And uh, we did the first two on a April Fool's joke episode mm-hmm. a while back. Or maybe it was a special. I can't remember. I'd have to look back. But we've done the first two, which was called New Beginnings. So this would be the next storyline that uh, Dark Horse did. So, And these were the books that were between seasons one and two. Right. Yeah. They were originally called season 1.5. So. Right. Okay, cool. So little, a little something different. Than, uh, in Star Trek. Yeah, well, we do like to mix it up these days. Yeah, now that we're all caught up. Right. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening, and hopefully uh, you'll come back with us next week for some Orville action. <laughs> and next week is uh, Thanksgiving for us, but uh, we'll see when we get this posted. <laughs> it might be Thanksgiving 2023. It might be. Well, anyway, happy Thanksgiving, Donovan. Thank you, Ken. Happy Good. Gobble Day to you as well. Okay, see you later. Later. Bye. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic, second name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.